0: Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com.
1: I'm Erica White, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, October 14th. This is the 82nd episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a chef-by-trade turned festival producer. I will be introducing him in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer public relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to stay humble. Be modest about your career and personal achievements. Nobody likes a bragger or know it all, right? Smart people will will recognize your success without having to spell it out for them. True leaders are confident, respected, and humble. So keep that in mind the next time you want to boast. Humility is the better policy. That's my tip today. Now I am thrilled to have my behind-the-scenes guest here. It is Devin Paget. He is the owner of Dev Inc., a company of festival engineers based in Basalt, Colorado. Devin is the producer of special projects for Food and Wine magazine, including the Classic in Aspen, as well as managing director of Sobe Wine and Food Festivals. And he's in town for NYC Food and Wine Festival. So, welcome, Devin.
2: Sure am. Hi, Sherry. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, thanks for coming out here. uh, Get you away from maybe some of the action that you're setting up and working on with the NYC Wine and Food Festival. We are
2: well underway. Been uh, hot at it for the last couple of, three or four days, and uh, we're getting ready to go, uh, you know, popping it live tomorrow. We're very excited. Great program in store for everybody this year.
1: Yeah, well, we'll talk a little more about, the festival, the specifics, but I like to start out with people's background because I really don't know how you went from being a chef to being a festival engineer. Still trying to
2: figure that out myself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, well, well, what... Give me a little of the background. Like, did you think... I mean, growing up, did you want to be a chef? Did you know you wanted to get... No,
2: know- not at all. I mean, listen, the chef by trade. And, you know, I think a lot of this is timing and good luck and good fortune. And of course, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to age myself here, too, because I've been doing this a long time. But when I started cooking... I'll never forget telling my parents, you know, I wanted to cook. I, you know, it just kind of happened organically. Um, no real thought put into it um, as a young man. But when I told my parents I wanted to be a chef or a, a cook, I mean, they cried. It was not a cool thing. You know, this was, this was well, back in the eighties and it was not, you know, chefs were not rock stars yet. This was not, uh, you know, that was a, it was, uh, it was work of, uh, of labor, not necessarily work of love, love, at least where I came from. So, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't cool yet.
1: Well, and. In- Nineteen ninety-seven. After I graduated college, I was living in Chicago, and I decided I wanted to go to cooking school and be a chef. Right. My parents did, did not really not so think it was it. it was as cool as maybe they would think it was now. I don't know, but um, both of us ended up not doing that. But you did. Well, tell me, you for, did, yeah, do no, that.
2: for a long time. And I loved cooking. and I loved you know the life, and got everything out of it um, that I wanted to. Um, and, you know, it, just, it all kind of just happened, like I said, organically. I mean, there was no plan put into place. Uh, again, cooking in the 80s, I did the classic style apprenticeship. I, I worked for a little over two years for uh, a great German chef named Roland Ott, which, who nobody knows who that is. But um, it was a very classic European, you know, lived on property apprenticeship in New Jersey at the shore. Um,
1: oh wow! Yeah, no, is, it was is... really
2: cool at the at, at the Flanders um, was the name of the place. I think it's still called the Flanders. Um, it's been there for many many years. But um, after that very classically um, trained apprenticeship, I um, this is you know this is the mid '80s. This is like in 1984, I guess 1985. Um, only wanted to come to the Waldorf Astoria in New York or the Ritz-Carlton in Boston. Those were my two picks. Like, again, this, this, whole, this whole world hadn't blown up yet. You right. know, people weren't obsessed with food and drink and, and eating and the lifestyle and, and everything that we, you know, is, is kind of part of our culture now. Um, and that's really what's changed in 20, 25 years, right, or 30 years. But um, anyway, got a job at the Waldorf Astoria in New York, moved to New York, didn't know anybody. Uh, Where
1: are you originally from?
2: Military brat. All over. Okay. Yeah. Like, born in Spain and lived in lots of places and lots of states. And um, I guess if I had to call a home from a childhood perspective, I'd went to high school all four years in Virginia. Okay. So, my family kind of settled um, in Virginia. Um, so, that's where that, probably a little bit of that southern comes from, but... I'm, uh,
1: I'm hearing yeah. it now. It's coming out. Yeah. A little twang. Yeah, a little bit. So...
2: Um, yeah, so New York and the Waldorf uh, Astoria was a great experience. I was actually telling a story on the way over here about my days at the Waldorf. i trying to remember all of this. And there's a lot forgotten, for sure. Um, it's, uh, from there, did some stages in Europe, um, in Belgium, in Copenhagen, Denmark, and before Copenhagen was cool, you know, Renee Rizepi. you no, hear me? No,
1: before Noma. Yeah, before Noma.
2: <laughs> um, and then kind of traveled all over. And you know, cooked and I think I was a really good cook. I mean, you know, I, I heard your tip at the beginning of the show, but I'll, I'll say I really enjoyed cooking and, and, and cooking was really um, starting to come into its own. And, you know, the whole the way I remember it, you know, from a, from a, uh, a buzz perspective, you know, names I'll never forget, for instance, I must have been a senior in high school seeing Wolfgang Puck on The Tonight Show. It was a chef on the Tonight Show, and we could we could fact check that and find the year. I don't know. I'm going to say 83, 84, 82, somewhere back in there. And it was like the coolest thing. I was cooking already, and you know, as a high school job. This is before I did my apprenticeship and all that. But um, wow, there's a there's a there's a chef on the Tonight Show, with Johnny Carson. You know, and so here we go. And that sort of you know was the run up or the beginning of um, you know everything that happened. You know, and here we are all these years later with you know full blown. Rock stars And, rock stars. you know, all the people we work with and you and I get to work with and, you know, throughout the year. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't like that then, I guess is what I'm trying to no, say. No, it wasn't. You and
1: know. there weren't all these culinary festivals. I mean, before the oh show, we were talking about the, there are so many uh, practically in every city. And I am trying to mix it up and go to different ones. But there's the standard ones that. You, you know, you don't want to miss Aspen or you don't want to miss NYC or South Beach or, right. you know, there's right. – but to see other cities and go there. But this is a new concept too, these culinary festivals.
2: Well, again, you know, I, you know, I don't know if it was right place, right time or, you know, culture shift or all of the above, but um – um you know, as I was cooking along, I think one thing led to another, and I I ended up in Texas and in San Antonio, Texas, and I was chef de cuisine for a man named Bruce Auden, who's still in San Antonio, and he was an original first year best new chef for Food and Wine magazine. Oh, okay. And Food and Wine had That's amazing. been yeah, Food and Wine. This was 1988. Food and Wine um, had been doing this little thing in Aspen, Colorado, called the Food and Wine Classic, and actually it was called the Aspen Snowmass. Wine class. there has been through many name changes, um, especially in the early days. But at that point, it was three or four years old, um, and it, within the industry, within the you know the cooks world, um, if you made it to Aspen, if you got invited to Aspen, if you knew anybody that was going to Aspen, like it was a really cool thing, and so everybody always wanted to go to you know wanted to go to Aspen. This is again, this is uh, late eighties. So Bruce was um, honored as a best new chef, the first class. Along with Thomas Keller and I believe Daniel Ballou was in that first class. I'd have to look, but an amazing right. roster. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so I went to Aspen with Bruce and um, to help him to help support him for you know Best New Chefs and here we are in this beautiful gorgeous mountain town it was immediate love i think i said earlier I'd, i've moved around and lived in a lot of places mm-hmm. but i knew this was it like like seriously i was all of 25 years old and like had landed home like it was i can remember how it smelled and how it felt and you know all those things and we're at this classic this big festival and so yes to answer your question like that and that was the festival that was the food and wine festival the food and wine classic in aspen which is what we call it now and have for the last 20 years um was really the original that's that there really is you can trace it all back it 's like the Kevin bacon thing where everybody 's related uh-huh. to him, you know that one degree of separation or whatever, but within the food and wine festival world i think that I think that there is there is something from aspen that 's in in all of them now
1: yeah, well, I went five years in a row and now i haven 't been for three, and i 'm due to go back because yes, I miss are. it, and there 's just something. There's something about that festival, uh, the ambiance, the way it's organized and run, the the people that, the industry people that attend, that participate, I still think it's the best. And I think peop- the other festivals have their character and take take bits and pieces, I think, from learning from what has happened um, at the classic. And I don't know, I can see how you fell in love with it. So, So you fell in love with it. So then you decided to move there and 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 help no. out
2: <laughs> well i mean kinda what, what was going on that first year i was there the uh the ski company was building the little Nell hotel it was under construction okay. so there were a lot there was lots of talent in town that was interviewing to be the chef at the little Nell, which was opening in i believe december of 1989 um, and again a uh, long story but one of my friends back in texas um, from Dallas, Richard Chamberlain, who was at San Simeon in Dallas, um, was in Aspen, as was it seemed to me the whole culinary world. Um, and uh, he interviewed for that position. And over the course of the summer, going back to Texas, um, one thing led to another. He called me. He said, "I'm you know I'm headed out to Aspen to be the New executive chef at the Little Nell. Do you want to come along?" Um, and I wasn't necessarily looking for a job, but like at the, you know it was yeah right it was right time right place right phone call, the right guy I was ready to leave um, the Fairmont where I was with Bruce Bruce actually had just left um, so it was it's was just good timing and I was like absolutely I jumped right on board and out to Aspen we went we opened up uh, in the fall or December of 1989 I believe and. That, that was during the time, during that winter, uh, Food & Wine was planning for the Classic, which must have been, what, the 6th or 7th Classic coming up in June, right? Not nearly the serious operation or the serious you know, festival that it, is, that it has become. Um, but the team came out in the spring, I remember this, and Richard took off for a week or two. Again, serendipity, good timing, whatever you want to call it. He was gone, so I got to entertain the Food & Wine folks, Breakfast, lunch, and dinner for however many days they were there, and one thing led to another. And yeah, I'll help you out. I'd love to help. It was great. I was out here last year supporting Bruce, um, and so I volunteered the first year or two of uh, the classic okay. and helped them out. Helped you know liaison with all the chefs because I still had a job. I was the executive sous chef at the Little Nell. So, I
1: did not know that. Yeah,
2: so I I actually had my, you know, real job and um but when Food and Wine and the Classic came around, I was there to support and you know, we had a lot of chefs in house and helping them with all their ingredients and mise en place and like all the prep for the Classic and all that and that's kind of it kind of started at from that level.
1: So, you're volunteering and this you were still full-time as a chef and then every year you would you would start volunteering with them. When did you make the transition into I'm. I'm not going to be cooking anymore.
2: You know that that actually just kind of happened. I want to say I was at the Nell. I went to Santa Fe for a year. Opened a restaurant there called Geronimo, which is still still operating. Um, came back to Aspen because Aspen's that place. Or well, at least for me, like I, I tried to leave, but but I, I'm, I'm not going anywhere now. Like, Aspen's <laughs> home. Um, But even during sort of that moving around, um, you know, maintain my contact with the Classic. And yes, I worked every year since then. This is my 28th coming up, I believe. Um, The next year, I want to say, they hired me, you know, in a very, in a small role to help out and assist. And it really just chipped away up the stairs. Like it just, you know, it it was a small working role. To help them organize and plan for, you know, I'm making it up, but maybe it was a month out. Whereas now these things are on 18, 24 month cycles. I mean, it was literally like, hey, it's March, we're doing the classic in June, you wanna help us out? And we got, you know, two months to get it together. You know, it was like that back then. Um, Not so much anymore. But uh, I stayed in Aspen or went back to Aspen um, and cooked, opened up a couple of places there. I was the chef at Mezzaluna, I was the chef at the Maroon Creek Club, that new development when it was new. Um, in about nineteen ninety seven, ninety eight was when it became very clear that this was this that was, was something bad. I could do, and you know that along with lifestyle, um, you know, getting married, lots of changes. You know, now I'm now I'm maturing into a <laughs> you know uh, a well rounded thirty three year old so or thirty four year old so. Um, it just it became apparent that this was actually something viable and again from, no, from not from any planning not from any right. blueprint not from anybody saying here's what you do it was just like wow i can actually
3: can work this. with
2: food and wine and you know help produce the classic and the classic became more and here we are
1: so that's the story yeah excellent we're going to take a little break and come back and hear more about now what you do as the the festival engineer of food and wine festivals. (laughs) So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Devin Padgett, the owner of Dev Inc., a company of festival engineers. He's the man bef- behind NYC and South Beach Wine and Food Festivals and f- the Food and Wine Classic in Aspen, which we we're just talking about how he got started with that. So, Devin, as a festival engineer, like what, what does that mean? Like how, do, how do you go about producing these events?
2: Well, you know the the term festival engineer is something we came up with. I don't know if we were kidding or not. Maybe seven or eight years ago. Like, how do we kind of define our great team? These thing, this, this very sort of niche that we have, you know, like found ourselves in. You know, helping to produce these festivals. And let me just say that you know the real kind of vision and behind these festivals is is not me. I mean food and wine is behind the classic and aspen, the the one and only the great Lee Schrager is the visionary behind the South Beach Wine and Food Festival in New York City. And you know, it's another another fortunate case that I've gotten to work with really great people in my career and in my life. And and, and Lee would be one, Christina Gertovich from Food and Wine magazine and Dana of course and that whole team over there. Like, you know, we're family. Um, but how do we become festival engineers? We, you know, it's from the culinary background. I think there's a lot of similarity there. You know, working in kitchens all those years, um, it translated really well. It all—it's all about the detail. It's all about timing. It's all about the, you know, those subtle nuances. You know, from first impression at a live, uh, large format event. All the way to the exit is very much like, you know, going to dinner and having a great meal and having, you know, multiple courses, you know, presented to you and and, in the right way, in the right style with great flavor. You know, I mean, you can sort of draw the analogy and and, I don't know, maybe I'm, you know, overanalyzing, but um, uh, there's a lot of similarity there. The detail. So when we kind of when I kind of transitioned out of live cooking or cooking for a living, which again was back, you know, uh, late nineties, um, and decided that we could, um, uh, I could figure out how to be a prof- uh, festival producer. Uh, it really, I took a lot of what I had learned all the way up to that, you know, to that point and fr- from the kitchen and from all my years in the kitchens and, and really applied it to production. So, and yeah.
1: So may, so perhaps it's like missing plus, like you have to get, Everything Mees you know. and
2: everything in its place. Exactly. It's yeah. all about the details and organizing and, you know, contacting the right people and having the right schedules and having them on a timeline and having yourself on a timeline and you know, having you know, creating a plan, a run of show we call it, to sort of sort roll out whatever the production is. And like, really, I mean, that's not unlike, you know, opening a kitchen, you know, or, or opening a restaurant on a daily basis, even. You just gotta have everything in its right place. And so being highly detailed, I think, and, and organized, which is, were skills I learned along the way um, and how to do all that. I think it applied directly to, you know, picking up, you know, with an event, with a live event, small, large, medium, whatever. I mean, obviously you, you construct it. I mean, there's a vision, there's a, there's a creative spark You know, and then the process is really just sort of writing it all down and like figuring out, you know, the content and then the marketing and then, you know, how it's all going to fit together all the way down to the production and logistics. Again, all very similar to, you know, lots of different businesses out there, I'm sure, but uh, kitchen work, it applied well. So, you know, my experience with the classic, the other, I think, bonus there was, again, very young kind of. I don't know if it's an industry, but it was—it was, you know, it had been around six, seven, eight years uh, when I got involved. Six, actually. Um, and there, there was, there was no manual, right? There was no, there was no reference book to go and say, "Oh, whoops, this is not good. How do we fix?" It? You know, you have to kind of make your way through. And so we got to sort of make lots of mistakes, you know, and um, trial, trial and error, um, and fix things, and you know, try to be smart and creative and. That kind of just, you know, applied to the classic then. And then as the other festivals started to unroll um, or roll out, Lee called me in 2001, 2002, I guess. Um, and he had this great idea that he wanted to do. What he wanted to do was the the, the best food and wine festival east of the Mississippi is what he always said. He didn't want to, you know... Uh, it wasn't a competitive thing it was there's not you know Aspen was Aspen but uh he that was his goal and his vision and I, I know you know the whole story behind the South Beach Wine and Food Festival. what's a great one as well um, but I've been there almost from the beginning um with Lee um and you know we just that was the next big one. Right. Right. And so we just picked up, you know, again, lots of years of learning at Aspen. I also did a lot of work. I've done a lot of work with sports, ESPN, um, the X games. I learned a lot from those guys. I would, it would, I would uh, be remiss not to, to point them out as well. I mean, from a production standpoint and logistics standpoint, which is so you know kind of out of the kitchen, but from that side of it, X games and, and ESPN, ABC sports, you know, I, a lot of, a lot of work with them in my early years, ski racing, you know, and producing events. Right. Again, it's just about all the spokes in the wheel, getting everybody in the right place at the right time, executing, and, you know, there you go. So we just, I don't know, we just applied it.
1: See, you are humble. <laughs> because, no it's, no, it's true, though. When I said the man behind, <laughs> I was thinking, like, you're the perfect, for my show, being a behind-the-scenes guy. Like totally this, behind the scenes this to me, like the man behind the scenes of these festivals, because you're right. Lee Schrager and 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 all those people that created these festivals. Um, and Lee came on my show last year with the for his book. And right. I'm a huge fan. Um, so behind the scenes. So I'm thinking. So now there's a manual that says rent big tent.
2: <laughs> Could be. I mean, I, that'd be a good place to start.
1: Um, sure. Make sure it will hold up on sand or on a pier, right. or I mean you have a lot of uh, there's a lot of challenges at these are, events because they're
0: massive
2: they're massive and they're large and, it, and it's fun It's it's learning along the way and you know I also like to point out that yes you've working with great people, I think you know obviously you know I always love working with people that um Know their stuff that are better than me that I can learn from. Like, that's, that's key, right? And, and just daily life, you know, if you can get up and learn something new every day, like, that's the best day. Um, but these festivals themselves, these productions that we're talking about, they were definitely built on the back of people that, you know, sort of led the way from a production standpoint and sort of laid it out there. And that's kind of where I came in. Like, right. you know, they the, the reach out was, hey, can you help me with this? Can you come in and help me fix this, build this, you know, work this out? And that's, you know, it's great to look back on that and say, yeah, you know what? From the very beginning, you know, I helped sort of provide the platform upon which this great event was built. So th- yeah. that's where it all started.
1: So, so. You're out here now for NYC Food and Wine Festival, and you you took you're taking the time to come out here to <laughs> Bushwick. What what are you going back to today? Like, where are you at now? The festival kicks off tomorrow.
2: Yeah, Claudia and I were talking about this uh, driving over. Like the the real fun part, well, of all of them, but of New York, it's it's a it's a composite. We literally get to and we produce the culinary demos for the massive New York City Wine and Food Festival, um, which is happening this weekend. Um, and there's 142 events, I think. That's they're, it? Uh, yeah. What? You know, they're all over the city.
1: <laughs> at least 150. Yeah, exactly.
2: We, um, we're we producing 24 live culinary demo segments, um, you know, with everybody from Giada to Rachel to uh, Patty LaBelle to... Uh, yeah, no, we've got a crazy, crazy schedule. But we get to start at the very beginning and not only sort of deal with the talent from the ground all the way up through their content, what they're doing, but I get to like... Put the whole team together. We start literally... Like last night at this time, Sherry, I had chalk in my hand. I was chalking out the outlines of where the stage sets are going or where the front of house is going for the camera positions and then talking audio this morning, you know, and all of that sort of technical de- detail. That's gonna roll all the way into this weekend where I literally have to take a shower and dress up and try to look as nice as I can. I actually host the stages. So I actually bring the talent out. So it's a full it's a full role for us. It's 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 setting up and we get a blank canvas really, you know. Lee and I will talk and the team will talk about, you know, who makes sense and you know we're lucky to have have, you know, 40 or 50 possible talent to do these demos. So we cull it down and work with the food network. And you know, here's our 24 segments for Saturday and Sunday. And that starts back in April. So we, this has been going on since last, well, late March um, of getting the scheduling together. That's the first part of it. And not to bore you with all this detail, but. Oh, you know, that's what
1: I want to hear. Right. Then, <laughs> then,
2: then, then we get to all the way up to site and we have a great team of people. Mike Blumquist, you know, the festival engineers, the Dev Inc. Festival Eng- engineers are a team of people. I don't know. We have How many? a little over 50, I think, free, wow. freelancers that come in and work projects. I think we've got 22 or 23 on site for, for this year's New York City. And that's culinary, it's production, it's operations. It runs the whole gamut. I've got a project manager. His name is Mike Blumquist. Way to go, Mike. Great job. Um, <laughs> he's been working really hard uh, for the last six months on organizing all the details um, that we're talking about. So from taking the venue you know, outlining the actual physical footprints, hiring all the vendors, working with the unions, making sure the staff is there, doing all the grocery shopping, you know, collecting all the content, all the way through working with, you know, our friends at William Morris and the agents to make sure that the talent is there on time. And, you know, there's lots of other people that are working. I mean, there are literally 150, 200 people, core people working the overall event, the overall festival. But as far as the culinary demos, um, we're fairly self-contained. We work um, with seven or eight other key people on the, on the festival team. Um, but, you know, again, like I said, I'll take the microphone on Saturday and literally bring, you know, Rachel and Jada and Marcus and everybody out on stage and they'll do their thing and, you know, they'll shine on stage hopefully and have a great time and we'll wrap it up on uh, Sunday late and start on next year.
1: Well, I've seen you in action. You do a great job. You'll, be, you'll clean up well and do a great, a, great, <laughs> a, so. a great host. Let me ask you the question I had from, from last week. I had on Chris Cannon. He's the owner of Jockey Hollow Bar and Kitchen in Morristown, New Jersey, which, by the way, Esquire Magazine had their uh, Best Restaurants of America come out today, and Jockey Hollow Bar and Kitchen was on that list. So congratulations, Chris. Now, his question is, how do you deal with all the egos?
2: Wow. Congrats, Chris, on that. I, do know, I know Chris. Um, what egos? There's no egos. Uh, yeah. All egos uh-huh. are checked at the door. Mm-hmm. I used to tell, um, I, or I've told the story before, a few, call it five years ago, um, we actually had some talent on some shows, and I'm not going to give you any specifics here, that, would, that actually started giving us hospitality and technical writers for their appearances. This is where chefs have gotten to. Um, again, not naming no any names, right? <laughs> but you know, their handlers and their PR people or their agents literally would have writers written up. You know, not quite the you know the Van Halen or the Rolling Stones writer yet, but you know, some very uh, yeah. very interesting requests and needs. Listen, the, from a from a chef standpoint, here's part I think of the secret, maybe not secret. The this is part of the formula of our success at Dev Inc. and Festival Engineers. I know all these guys. Or for the, or I know a lot of them. I've worked with a lot of these guys um, that have been around now, being very successful chefs, and and very, really fortunately so. Like and and we're friends. We may have worked together way back in the past, or in the in the not too recent, you know, or not too long ago, whether it be at a festival or otherwise. And you know, I think our work really is just like. It's just like it's like life, you know. It all comes down to the relationships. We have really good relationships with most of these people. Um, they're our friends. Um, we're there trying to produce them and sh- make them shine and have the best, most seamless, um, most positive experience that they can have. So w- we're all on board. We're all on this. They're all on the same page. And I'm not going to tell you we don't ever come up against an ego or a tough situation but uh you know we work our way through it i I, you know i'm I'm sitting here trying to think of a good example or something that would be um fun to tell your audience but you know i mean the egos i think are pretty normal sort of along the you know within the scope of uh, of the talent and the the people that we're talking about i mean it's there's nothing nothing crazy
1: all right Oh. Sorry
2: to disappoint you, Chris. I mean, the, I, think it, he'll,
1: I think I think you answered that well. I think he'll be satisfied. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so we're gonna take another break here. We're gonna come back and do my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network.
3: Hi, this is Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. And you know, I remember my very first show, December 2009. It was a cold winter. And my first guest was William Grimes from the New York Times. Now, the one specific I had to tell him was, wear a hat, gloves, and a warm coat. Because our studio had no heat. We had no heat in the winter. We had no air conditioning in the summertime. It was rough going, but we were a startup and we had a good show, regardless of the fact that we could see our breath. So today we still have hurdles to climb over, and the only way we can get there is with your help. So if you would please consider being a member and press that little beating heart button in the upper right hand corner to donate. It's going to help us have heat and electricity and air conditioning and really good sound with really great guests. Thanks for listening.
1: Okay, we are back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest is Devin Paget, and it is time for my speed round game. So, Devin, Can't what this wait. is, I'm going to name two or more things, and you just pick your preference. Okay. Here we go. Very easy. No, There's no right or wrong. All right. Eat in or eat out? Out. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Mock. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Small. Communal table or chef's counter?
2: Hmm. Communal.
1: Tipping or all-inclusive charge?
2: Well, with the news that broke today, I'm going to say all-inclusive charge. All inclusive charge
1: yeah, I have to go back and, and <laughs> listen to my episodes because the answers ch- started changing. I've been asking this for for uh, over a year and a half.
2: I'm taking advantage of current events. Yeah, right no, now, we're yes.
1: going to get to that. Well, a few more in the game, and then we'll talk, talk about the news. Okay, how about putting up a tent on grass, the beach, or a pier? Grass. Grass. Burger Bash or metopia?
2: Oof, metopia.
1: Cheese plate or dessert?
2: Dessert for me.
1: Manhattan, Brooklyn aspen or basalt
2: oh my goodness that's not fair basalt
1: how far is basalt from aspen
2: mm, 20 minutes okay it's what is it 14 miles down the road yeah got it it's it's the next town down
1: great you did well at that game in my game <laughs> okay so the big news that broke this morning breaking news i think it's breaking down twitter i think i think danny meyer is trending uh, so, so so the first I saw it was on Eater that Ryan Sutton wrote about how Danny Meyer is eliminating tipping at his restaurants. So this is huge news and, huge. and people, you know, the tipping thing has is, is been talked about a lot this year. And as I said, the opinions are kind of changing on it. But he's decided um, he's eliminating tipping at all of his restaurants. There's 13 total. He's starting with the modern at MoMA, which he'll start uh, next month. And he says uh, dish prices will increase a little, but he feels it's time. And um, I then got an email, you know, from uh, Union Square Hospitality Group that he wrote to people on his email list. And hmm. one of the lines in it, I liked. Uh, you know, he says, we believe hospitality is a team sport. So I think it's saying it's time to kind of, you know, keep the, the wage across the board uh, fair.
2: Listen, it's big news if anybody can do this and lead the way. It's certainly Danny Meyer and his mm-hmm. amazing group at Union Square Hospitality. I, 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 not even a joke. I've told him for many years. He's, he's been coming to the Classic for as long as I have and um, is a great friend um, of food and wine and a great friend of ours. I've always told him when I grow up I want to be Danny Meyer and I think probably a lot of us have. Yeah, um, me he's too. <laughs> just an amazing human being. Uh, what he's doing now I know that's a long time coming. This is not this was not a something that happened overnight. Um, right. they've been talking about it and thinking you know it's been a it's been a big debate and a big topic of conversation for many years in our world. And what I like best about it if it works and I know that it's going to work. Like it, it may take time. It's going to it's going to be a reeducation, it's going to be a reculturalization actually in the I think dining experience really. Um, but what I like most about it, and this is probably being selfish, putting my cook's hat back, back on, is, you know, one of the premises, one of the ideas here is to get that living wage, get that wage up for the back of the house, the guy or the girl who's back there, you know, really working hard, cooking, the cooks, you know, the the, yeah. the, the kitchen, the, the, the people working in the kitchen. Like, I mean, it's not that it's slanted any one way, but like to get that wage up, uh, you know. It's such a craft, and you have to have such passion to want to be a great cap, a great cook and a great you know to be a chef. Um, and there's just not a lot of you know economic support in our world um, to do that. You know to to kind of live at such a low scale and work so hard. I think this and the all in and and Danny's idea here and Union Square Hospitality's ideal here. I think that's a, a big part of it, and, and I love that part.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I've always. I mean, there's been a shortage of line cooks too that people have been right. talking about for, you know, beyond this year. And I think, you know, the wage does have a a part in that. <laughs>
2: Has a big part of that. I have, again, lots of friends, obviously in the in the industry, and like that's been the biggest stress for many years now. Um, yes, it's been talked about a lot in the last year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, since the you know since the crash, and you know, everything's everything's recovered, but the kitchen is you know is the line out there in our in our small world, but. Uh, Yeah, it's due, and if this can help solve some of that and make things um, a little more equitable and a little more fair and give people a little better quality of life, you know, from an economic standpoint, I'm all for it.
1: Yeah, and I've always admired... Danny. I mean, I, I, yeah. Sometimes I think to myself, "Well, what would Danny do?" Right. You know, when I'm making a decision, because he is so smart, and I, I think, and so nice. And I, I definitely think this is this is this is huge news because it's just he, they're they're a major restaurant group that influences a lot of people. So
2: big big influencers. And yeah. I think that us uh, as consumers, if I can just say this, I think if we can help. With this whole initiative and with, with this whole goal here, and really sort of take a step back because yes, there's going to be price increases. Something, somewhere, the money's got to come from somewhere. It's got to be paid for, right? And he's very transparent, and they're very open about that. And they give the whole, you know, we'll be reading all the all the press and you know all the details behind it here over the next few days um, if you haven't already. But we as consumers have to realize, hey, I would have put twenty-five or thirty percent on that anyway. You know, I don't know if prices are going to go up ten percent or fifteen or twenty. I know they're all kind of all over the place right now, but
1: there was something that said. Dish prices might increase as much as thirty to thirty-five percent. But basically, he's saying, I, as a consumer, I don't think it affects us as much as it will affect, as you said, the back of the house and and their wage. Like right. that's that's right. where it's going to make more of a difference. Like, as consumers, we're not going to be leaving a tip. We'll be paying more right. for prices. And he said he's going to call it hospitality included, which Love is that. so of course so danny meyer (laughs) right so danny and uh
2: yeah it makes i I think it makes total sense i i i'm all for it
1: yeah well it's exciting so i'm for it too i'm i'm you know it will be i'm sure it's we're going to be hearing more about this very
2: controversial you're gonna have lots of shows about this sherry i'm sure i think you know this is something that's not going to be quick it's not gonna happen overnight and you may we may all still be talking about this you know a few years from now but you know we'll see You know, every good revolution is a slow revolution, they say. So we'll we'll see where that comes from.
1: We will. Okay. So that's all we have time for with industry news. So we're going to take one more break, come back to my solo dining experience. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience, which this week is brought to you by our friends at One House Hospitality Headhunters. Check them out on Facebook and on Twitter at one underscore house and at Instagram at one house and that's spelled O-N-E-H-A-U-S. So here's the rundown of my solo dinner at Al Forno. Location, 577 Southwater Street in Providence, Rhode Island. The concept, upscale neighborhood restaurant known for its Italian fare and as the birthplace of grilled pizza. The chef and owners George Germon and Johann Killeen. Why did I go? Because this place is legendary. My experience. A couple weekends ago I drove to Providence before venturing to Newport for the Newport Mansions Wine and Food Festival, specifically to go to this restaurant. I arrived a little before 5 when it opened and was seated at a nice two-top by the windows where I could see the sun setting. What did I get? Well, I had the pizza, of course. I went with a margarita, and I also got an apple crisp tart for two because there were no tarts for one, and hey, I'm worth it. My take. The grilled pizza lived up to the hype. It was shaped like a lopsided rectangle and served with a sharp knife to cut as you please. It was delicious. And my tart was beyond expectations. It was heavenly. Dessert orders are taken at the beginning of the meal as they are made fresh to order, and I could taste the difference. It was so, so good. I didn't finish either dish, and I took a goodie bag of leftovers to go. The scene. Rhode Island locals. Perfect for those who appreciate fine yet simple cooking. Interesting tidbit. Al opened in January 1980 and has been serving the neighborhood since. It's basically an institution. Personal fun fact. Because I'm crazy when it comes to restaurants, I took advantage of my short time in Providence and had a second dinner at Birch, another recommended restaurant. Yes, as I said, crazy. The cost, $41, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Absolutely. I would love to try more of Al Forno's menu. Their website is alforno.com. So that is my solo dining experience. Have you ever been there, Devin?
2: I have not on the list forever um
1: it was like me too it's, yeah, worth, it's worth checking out really yeah.
2: yeah it's still on the list
1: all right scratch that one off my list right. but i would like Good to go for you. <laughs> yeah. okay so it's time for the final question so next week i'm having on chris Mialli and chef elan hall they are of blue cut aprons american-made aprons and chef coats handcrafted in los angeles utilizing the finest materials so Devin, can you ask a question for Chris and Alain?
2: Hmm. I've worn lots of chef coats in my life. I was just sitting here thinking about the aprons too.
1: They become trendy. Yeah. you Yeah. Know?
2: Well, I was. I guess the question is, chef's coat, uniform or statement? I don't. I don't know. I people wear chef coats now that aren't cooking. Like it's. Uh, is is that the goal? Is that the, is the goal to get everybody in a chef's coat ultimately, whether they're cooking or not? I don't know. Um,
1: I don't know. Was that
2: the question? I, I, I maybe the question, the, question, the question is Is a chef coat still a uniform? Okay. I mean, you know, for, for all my career, it was, it was a uniform. What is it now? Is it still a uniform? I'm curious. <laughs> we see lots of people work, working in chef's, co- you know, whites and, and cook shirts and, well, you know. Well,
1: that's what I'm thinking with your demos. <laughs> Uh, are most of, the, of these chefs doing demos just wearing street clothes?
2: Okay, so this is exactly where the question's coming from. Yeah, that, no, that's what I'm thinking. We're coming all the I way around it. the circle yeah, here. So yeah. the chefs, the talent that's on stage, typically, no, they're not in a chef's coat, maybe an apron. But the people working the show, including all the Dev Inc. Festival engineers, Claudia's shaking her head now because she <laughs> has them all made. They work the uniform behind the scenes for all the culinary team and even the operations team are cook shirts and some chef coats. How crazy is that? You know, it's, it's a cool thing to wear.
1: It is. I mean, I'm sure if Alana yeah. and Chris
2: can get everybody wearing chef coats and they've, they, you know, they've done it, right?
1: Yeah, and they, they, <laughs> they have these, they have very cool aprons too. The aprons have become I've just noticed that uh, you go places and you see the chefs uh, bright colors yeah, and, you yeah, know, yeah. interesting, nice, you know, d- beyond, beyond what was happening in 1980.
2: Oh my God. You remind me of all the, <laughs> remember the big pants? Oh, oh, what were they called with all uh, had with, with the, had bread pants and fish with pants the peppers, and chili, chili and peppers on pants and tomato pants. I had them all. I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that. <laughs> had every single pair.
1: That's how it began.
2: Yes, yeah, it all began there. It was, you know, trying to create, trying to, trying to make it a little more fashionable and fun. Anyway, Elon, send me an apron or a chef's coat and, and, and. Let you know how it it looks.
1: I will remind him of that. (laughs) Excellent. Well, that's the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having
2: me. This was great. This was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, no, thank you for coming out here. It's great to get to see you. And I'm looking forward to the festival this weekend. We'll
2: see you around all weekend, I hope.
1: Yeah, I will be attending, representing Heritage Radio. It will be fun. Absolutely. So, my guest today has been Devin Padgett. He's the owner of Dev Inc., a company of festival engineers. Behind food and wine magazines The Classic and Aspen and South Beach and New York City Wine and Food Festivals. His website is devinc.com. On Twitter, he's Devin Paget. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm Sherry Bayer, Bayer PR, All Industry. And my Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my website's BayerPublicRelations.com. Many thanks to my engineer today, Liz Smith. Today's breakout music was provided by The Landing, and the theme song to my show is by the California Honey Drops. Thank you to our sponsor, International Culinary Center, and thank you, listener, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, tell your friends to subscribe to the show on iTunes, and feel free to touch base with us at heritageradionetwork.org. Next up, we have a short clip of this from the Speakeasy, another great show right here on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next Wednesday at 4 with another live show. I hope you'll tune in then. Thanks, Devin, and thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, first of all, fall is my favorite season for, for cocktails. And it's just like you said you know you're at it's during harvest season you've got all this beautiful beautiful produce and different like just like everything everything's happening during like the end of the summer and early fall on episode 137 of the speakeasy master bartender aaron polsky talks to host damon bolty on why fall is such a perfect time to make great cocktails There are just new ingredients that are available to us in general you know and that's great like the accessibility and availability of spices and good quality produce on a wholesale level is awesome and also the technology to make them work fast so everybody well not everybody but you and i know the dave arnold pioneered uh, rapid infusion technique with an ec container and of course you can do that with a cryovac or as i recently discovered a food saver with a a handy food saver Tupperware canister attachment, you can make things work fast. So you can experiment quickly. Uh, you can weigh things in grams. You can time how long it takes, how long you're putting suction on it, and you can get really good uh, good bitters, good infusions, and that's great, In you know, especially for the fall, because you think of fall, you think of, I mean, all jokes aside, you do think of pumpkin spice. <laughs> you think of pumpkin pie, and you think of all those yeah. warm spices and squash and all Apples that. Apples, pears. Apples, pears, pumpkin spice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that six six years ago, it would have been difficult to find different types of cinnamon, and now you can easily get them. Whether you know what a rapid infusion machine is or you're a bartending novice, be sure to listen to the Speakeasy, available on Heritage Radio Network and iTunes.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.